This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is Peter Capelli, Director of the Center for Human Resources here at Wharton. And we're going to speak with Peter about his book, Will College Pay Off? A Guide to the Most Important Financial Decision You Will Ever Make. Peter, thanks for joining us at Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you. Before we talk about the book itself, I wonder if I could ask you a quick question about the title. Because normally when people talk about the most important financial decision of their lives, Mm -hmm. I've heard people talking about buying a house. Mm -hmm. Why Mm -hmm. is college... Uh, number one in your mind? Well, uh, for many families, they're making this decision more than once. So, you know, their home could be more, certainly more expensive than what they spend on college. But if you've got a few kids, it begins to mount up. It's probably fair to say that my view on this is it's one of the most important decisions you could make because there's a lot of risk involved and the information's not very good and the outcomes could really vary much more so even than uh, most housing markets, which, except for the recent past, have not been quite so bumpy. Right. Uh, and, and we'll come back to the risks in a bit, but uh, I, I want to quote something that you write in the book, which is that you wrote this book because of the prol- proliferation of unqualified statements about the big payoff to a college degree that are pushing many students and their families who can't afford to do so to jump into the deep end of college expenses, taking on debt that they cannot afford for experiences that are unlikely to pay off. Uh, what is your basic counter-argument to these claims? Well, I think the uh, the concern, just maybe to rephrase it a little bit, the concern for many families is not whether your kids are going to go to college. It's a bit of an entitlement in the middle class and upper middle class. And for, for those folks, I think we can offer some advice about how to think about the economics associated with it. But for lots of people now, increasingly over time, a much larger percentage of the U.S. population is going to to college. And for a lot of those folks, it really is a challenging uh, decision to make. And so I think the alternative, you know, counter-argument to everybody should go is to say, well, if you want to say that, are you offering to pay uh, for the education of all these kids, you're pushing them to go. How are they going to pay for it? And then it becomes quite a different question, right? If it's free, of course you should go. It'd be a wonderful experience for most people. Uh, but if you got to pay for it, then it's quite different. And the way we pay for college has changed a lot over time. Loans are up 150% over the last 10 years. And uh, the typical costs of college have risen by about four times the rate of inflation over the last generation. So it's much more expensive in a period where incomes are more or less flat. So the kind of advice that many of us sort of grew up with, college is a great thing, you all should go, it would be wonderful, um, might not be completely right in the current environment given the costs and given the realities too of the job market we might talk about in a minute. So uh, coming to the job market, what are some of the most common myths that you found in your research about the link between a college degree and 
well-paying jobs because that's the, the the normal argument you always hear that if you want to get a well-paying job you need a college degree because the wage differential yeah. between those who have a college education and those who don't is so high. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because that is the one piece of information that you hear over and over and the average college graduate in the US does make 60% more than the average high school graduate. Of course, the average worker in the U.S. economy is about 46, 47, so they've been out of school for 20 years or so. So it's a kind of historical effect. That premium, that wage difference, is something that's bounced around a lot. So in the 1960s and 70s, it was almost zero, believe it or not. College graduates didn't make more than high school graduates. So there's nothing that guarantees that it's going to be at a particular level and is now kind of at record all-time high. So, you know, if you're thinking this will persist, you know, it bounces around a lot. That's the first thing to think about. The second thing, though, is that it's a mistake to assume, as a lot of people do, that the college graduates are identical to the high school graduates except for the college degree. So what you often hear is the kind of therefore that's unspoken after that 60% figure is, therefore, you should go to college because you'll make a ton more money. Well, the kids who go to college are systematically different than the kids who don't go to college. They have a lot more things going for them, typically, more supportive parents, more family wealth, uh, all kinds of differences in maybe their abilities and motivation. So they're different even before they go to college, and they're quite likely to do better even if they didn't go to college than the average high school kid would do. So the assumption that a high school graduate would do as well as the average college graduate is a big, big leap, and it requires assumptions that we know are just not true. So just to make sure I understood you correctly, uh, is, is, it, uh, is it correct to say that uh, if people who have gone to college make more money than those who didn't, there are factors that uh, existed even before they went to college that are responsible for it rather than going to college itself. Well, they're responsible for some of it, for sure. And I think this is a really interesting problem. You know, the basic question, which is a good place to start, is why do college graduates make more money than high school graduates? And, you know, some of it seems obvious. You can take on jobs that maybe require a college degree, and that sort of seems sensible. It's just a requirement. But we know there are other differences as well. And one is this big difference that the kids who can make it to college uh, and complete college, which is one of the biggest issues. The, most kids actually who go to college don't seem to get through college. So getting to college, you got to be different. You got to have more support just to get to college. To finish it uh, suggests a lot of achievement just to get out of college. So the kids who come to college are different than the kids who go to high school. That makes a big difference. The other thing is that the kids who finish college have signaled something to potential employers about their abilities that is valuable. We know this pretty clearly from the high school level. So for example, high schools, we have a graduate equivalency diploma, the GED, and then you have regular high school degrees. Well, most people think that the test to get a GED degree is reasonably hard, um, at least would be hard for the average kid who is not going on to college, um, particularly the, you know, the sort of lower part of the distribution. But people who get GED degrees make nowhere near as much money and do much worse than kids who have high school diplomas. 
Now, why is that? It's because the employers see the high school diploma and they know that at least you have been able to sit in a classroom and get along with people and persist enough to finish. With a GED degree, you kind of know that that's probably not true. So it's not the cognitive ability or it's not the classroom knowledge that seems to matter so much. And when we look at surveys of employers who are hiring college graduates, what they say is most important to them has nothing to do with the academic experience. It has to do with experiences that are work-like on the college campus. It has to do with internships and summer jobs and extracurricular activities. That's what they care more about, actually, than the academic uh, material. So we don't know for sure uh, exactly why um, kids who graduate from college do better. But I think the point for us is you shouldn't assume that the average kid who doesn't go to college will just do as well as the average kid who made it through college. Uh, your book also notes that you know, schools, especially the for-profit ones, uh, in their efforts to show that a college degree leads to a good job, very often end up offering courses that almost sound, as you say, like uh, job titles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, does your, did your research show that any direct link between uh, a four-year college degree and very direct job-related training? I mean, does, does that actually work? Yeah, do they, do they do better if you've got this very specific job training? Well, no one has actually looked at that carefully, and it turns out that it's quite difficult to get some of that data. So here's a, uh, an unfortunate thing for parents. If you're trying to figure out whether a particular college will get your kid a job, there's no standard data to look at. Colleges are not required to report that information. Uh, when they report it, they report it in different ways. They're not always very honest in the ways they report the data. You know, somebody could be employed as a barista, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe they count them as employed. They sort mm -hmm. of are, right? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty difficult to know whether or not uh, particular colleges are actually getting your kid a job. And you probably can't trust the marketing information, which for the most part doesn't give you data anyway. They just kind of hint that this is the career and here's the education that will help you with the career, right? I think one of the things I worry about with that, it's very specific job-focused uh, majors, is what do you do if you don't get a job in that major, right? So you're an international tourism major, which is a real major, by the way. And the international tourist agencies are not hiring the year you graduate. What are you going to do, right? You would have been better off with a liberal arts degree. So you're taking a huge risk when you pursue these very focused degrees. And it's not free in the sense that there are a bunch of other courses that you could have been taking and a bunch of other things that you could have been learning beyond, say, memorizing international tourism laws and taxation you know, relationships and things like that, right? So there's an opportunity that you're losing that might have broadened you in ways that would allow you to do better after just your first job, which is the other point about these programs. They're just focusing on the first job out of school and what happens after that. Right. Well, that's very interesting. You know, when it comes to trying to decide what people should study uh, STEM or so-called uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, 
right. uh, programs seem to be all the rage these yeah. days. Yeah. And there's a very common belief that if you want to move into high-paying jobs, yeah. those are the kind of courses to focus on. Yeah. Did your research show if that's true or not? Well, if you look at the evidence on STEM, um, the uh, first thing, I guess, to note about it is it's a bunch of different majors that actually don't have an awful lot to do with each other. And what the evidence seems to show is that people with math degrees and science degrees don't do very well. There's an interesting study in Texas that shows that um, students with sociology degrees make more money than students with biology degrees. You know, So it's not true that in the sciences or in math, there are even very many jobs for these folks and they don't pay very well. It is true that if you look for the best paying jobs in the U.S. right out of college, uh, those jobs are almost entirely engineering jobs. But the thing about them is they're not the same job every year. And being an engineer uh, is not a general um, qualification, right? If you're a petroleum engineer, you can't switch and become an electronics engineer or computer science engineer you know, at the point of graduation. They're quite different and they're not um, substitutable across. So the thing about these very top jobs is that they change a lot year by year based on what's going on in the economy. And uh, to give you an illustration of this, the hottest job in the U.S. for the last three years or so and pays about 50 percent more than the second highest paid job has been petroleum engineers. And that was a field that a generation ago or even 10 years ago, those folks were waiting tables. There was no work for them, right? And what happened was completely unpredictable, and that was the discovery of fracking, uh, which suddenly unleashed a bunch of exploration, and these folks were just really in demand. But the thing that we know as soon as something like that really becomes hot is students pour into those majors and fields. And that's what happened in the last couple of years. They're pouring in. And what has happened now is that oil prices have collapsed. The interest in oil exploration is also beginning to collapse and will shortly. And the demand for these folks is clearly going to collapse as well because demand's falling and the supply of new graduates is going to pile into the market. So one of the things about pursuing these jobs which are at the top of the list is that you're taking a lot of risk with those jobs because they may not be hot. It's not all engineering jobs that are always hot. And the second thing to think about with a lot of these jobs, particularly the IT jobs, is they don't seem to last very long. People don't stay in those jobs very long, so you get a great paying job out of college. Three years later, what are you going to do? You can do another programming job, and you could be a programmer forever, but they don't lead anywhere in the long term. And so a lot of people give up on them altogether. So what would be a, a, a rational choice for a student to make who's considering a career uh, choice? Uh, would, would it be to sort of ignore uh, where the demand is at the present moment and just focus on their own interests? Or, or, or should they look at other factors as well? Yeah, I think uh, we way overplay the job market in terms of pushing kids in particular directions, and mm -hmm. partly because we can't predict it very well. If you think about it, the kid going to school now, applying for college this year, um, they won't graduate from college until five years if they're lucky because here's the shocking statistic for parents is that only 40% of full-time students in four-year colleges graduate on time. 
and only 60% graduate in six years. Uh, and I know people are saying, well, not my kid. Well, you know, <laughs> sometimes you can't control that stuff, right? right. Uh, neither of my kids graduated in, in four years, and it had nothing to do with the fact that I wasn't telling them to graduate in four years. So it's a long time away, and the job market is surely going to be different by the time they get out. So uh, that's the first thing to consider. The second is kids don't do very well in fields where they – don't feel they're very good at them. If you've got somebody who really wants to be a history major and you're leaning on them to be an engineer, it's a very good chance they're not going to be a very good engineer even if they get through the program. So I think we shouldn't focus too much on it, particularly at the entry level. You should try to go to a school where you can change your mind. Kids change majors all the time. And the second part of that is you should go to a place where it is – not just easy to change majors, but the majors are not that complicated. So one of the main factors that causes kids to delay graduation, and one that is completely preventable, is that it is difficult to get the courses required to complete your major unless you take them absolutely in lockstep. So if you move into a major, you're suddenly in some trouble. And here are things I would look out for, to on a short list. If you're applying to a small college and they offer, as many small colleges do, 70 majors or something like that, you have to ask yourself, what's their ability to actually deliver these majors? And typically what they're doing is they're bringing in a lot of adjunct professors, people from outside, practitioners sometimes to teach those as well, which should give you a little pause. What are you paying for, right, if it's not regular faculty? But it also uh, means that it might be a little difficult because you don't have, you know, a regular track record in a major of people teaching these courses on a regular schedule over and over to get them delivered. The second thing to look at is the actual requirements of the major. And of course, a major that has many requirements is a little problematic. But the biggest problem is if the major requires that you take courses in particular sequence. And the reason that is a problem is if the professor who teaches this course is on sabbatical that year, maybe you can't get it until the, the spring, in which case you're already behind and you can't take the other courses. So I think you know, majors are quite complicated. Uh, it is completely preventable. We basically designed them with the faculty in mind rather than the students. And this is also uh, um, an issue where public and private differ a lot that the state universities, which have really been squeezed by budget constraints the last few years, are having more trouble completing, getting kids to complete majors because they're having trouble keeping, getting lines, faculty lines, filling positions. So it's an, it's an issue when you're thinking about which college to go to. It's very, very interesting. It's very useful information, Peter. Thanks for that. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes feel looking at the educational options and the high cost of college, that this is almost like the golden age for the autodidact, where you can, you know, anyone who wants to create their own bundle of educational experiences, say from the Ivy League institutions, mm -hmm. can just sign up for MOOCs from yep. Coursera or yep. edX or yep. Udacity and, right. and get credentials of some sort yep. from, uh, you know, Ivy League universities and courses that they want and create their own personal educational yep. portfolio. Yep. And since many MOOCs are offered for free, they, they could probably also gain these credentials without yep. piling up huge debt. Do you think this could be a viable option 
uh, for people who uh, might either be thinking of an alternative to conventional education or someone who just can't afford it? Well, I think y you would get something very different with a MOOC. And by the way, as, as you know, they're actually not doing that well. The initial bloom is off the rose. You know, hundreds of thousands of kids sign up for these or adults too, and four complete them, right? So um, it's something that actually was always available, you know, in the form of a textbook. You could completely portable. You could take it anywhere. It had the best ideas of the faculty laid out in a sequence. You could stop and repeat things. You know, it's just this, or maybe better than a MOOC. And I've never heard of anybody that learned organic chemistry in a dark room by themselves with a textbook, right? So the thing that universities provide is a context that forces people to learn, and MOOCs don't have that. So access to the information has never really been the issue. I think the other part of that is it's not clear employers care very much about that. So having a, a MOOC, being able to pass a test like the GED degree out of high school, they don't seem to care much about that. What they care about is the college experience in, in the U.S., the more traditional college experience, where you are working in a community, you're getting along with other people, you're learning from the context as well as just the academic material. That's what they seem to care about, and MOOCs don't give you that. But if you were to look at the conventional U.S. schools, uh, how do you think they compare to international schools in preparing uh, students for jobs? Well, I think they're very different in the way they compare. You know, the prototypical U.S. college experience, at least the way we thought about it, was four years on a leafy campus someplace where you're walking in the quad and bump into your professor kind of thing, you know. And that's almost never been the case in, excuse me, in uh, colleges elsewhere that um, much more common, particularly in Europe, is you are living at home and going to the local university during the day, you're riding the bus, you're not walking across the quad, you're in a big lecture hall, you're taking giant standardized uh, exams with other people. It was a little more MOOC-like than the U.S. experience. I think the U.S. Uh, students are getting something quite different on the traditional U.S. campus than you're getting abroad, and employers seem to like that. You know, you have to talk more. You have to get along with people. Those are life skills that seem to matter. If you talk to people in other countries, which I do quite frequently about these issues, they're complaining about their own uh, campuses, their own education, not just at college but high school as well, that they don't do the kinds of things that we do in the U.S. On the other hand, in the U.S., we pay a heck of a lot for it. So the average... American parent pays seven times as much for a college education as the average parent in the rest of the industrial world. So we're paying an awful lot for it. And we've got the second worst graduation rate, too. So not that many people are getting through this college program in the U.S., which is, you know, something we might want to think a little bit about. So, uh, in answer to the question, uh, does college pay off? Uh, you, you say in the book, it depends. Yeah. Uh, what, what does it depend on? Well, I think uh, it depends on the cost side. And, of course, that's just you know how much you have to pay, and that's where you have to be quite careful. Uh, but I think the focus that 
we've heard a lot about, which is about trying to game the system for financial aid and things like that, I think is really kind of a waste of time. For one thing, it's it's quite likely going to be illegal if you're trying to, you know, game the system um, in order to get more financial aid. That's probably not the smart thing to do. Uh, but paying attention to simple things like the graduation rate, right? So will my kid get out on time? So uh, there are very big differences between colleges with respect to that. And there's a big state university, private university difference of about 10 percentage points in the typical graduation rate between state and private institutions. So for example, in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, the flagship state university is Penn State, and its graduation rate is 65%. The University of Pennsylvania, we think the most elite private school in the state, uh, the graduation rate here is 98%. Well, if you're thinking about probabilities, uh, you know, is it worth it to pay more to get the kind of support and systems and major design and everything that gets kids out in four years? Yeah, probably absolutely is. So the first thing to think about are things like, will my kid graduate on time? Financial aid matters a lot. Uh, state universities, private universities now, the average difference in tuition between private and state for kids getting financial aid is only $9,000. So, you know, public institutions' tuition has gone up 50% faster than private. And financial aid in lots of places has gone up pretty high. So, you know, thinking that public institutions will be cheaper is not necessarily true. So, you know, cost side matters a lot. Graduation rates matter a lot. Uh, being able to get the first job matters. But I think uh, getting the first job may not be quite so dependent on your major as we used to think, because we know employers care a lot about internships, more than they seem to care about the college curriculum that you're taking, work experience on campus, and maybe uh, some of these certificates that you can get online in fields that where those count, like computer science, maybe that matters. So I, I think, for example, a kid who can delay picking their major until late in the program and get a sense of where the job market's going to be when they graduate, can take very practical courses that seem to be hot at the last minute, you know, the year before they graduate, they take big data classes in Python software and things like that. Um, get some work experience outside. They might do just as well as somebody who actually had a major in one of those fields. And they could have a philosophy major, and they might do just as well. Interesting. Uh, one last question. If you uh, are the parent of a child that is about to start looking for college, what's the most important piece of advice that you can offer them? Well, I guess this, the single most important fact that I would look at is the graduation rates across colleges. They have to report that. That information is pretty reliable. It varies like crazy. Uh, I think the uh, single most important uh, th thing to think about is maybe on the parent's side a little bit, and that is um, maybe to not worry quite so much about the job market side. Uh, one of the things we know about kids is they don't do particularly well in colleges where they don't want to be. So trying to force them into a particular major, and they may not be good at it anyway, probably isn't the best thing to do. And you can become preoccupied with the job market 
early on in your college career in ways that distort what you're doing. You know, one of the interesting statistics about college students in the U.S. now is that the amount of time spent studying seems to have de declined quite sharply in the last generation. And what has gone up, fortunately, is not beer pong time, uh, but uh, uh, time spent in extracurricular activities. Maybe that's useful. You know, maybe that's useful. But um, it's worth thinking about that as well, depending on the colleges you want to go to. You know, what are the kids, what is the culture of the place like? Is this a place where kids are serious about studying and academics? Is it a place where they're spending all their time early on just worrying about the job market, right? Changes the kind of place that you're going to be. Peter, thanks so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.